Today we're going to be looking at our focus on God's Word. God's Word determines everything that we uh, do, everything that we ought to think, uh, conditions every uh, function of the church, and so it is, is pivotal for us. And as we think about trying to be a church that is successful, however you want to define success, um, we have to measure it by God's word. And so uh, if you would stand with me as we read through Psalm 1, uh, this is a good place to start in thinking about God's word. So here now from Psalm 1, for God is indeed speaking to us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And friends, so ends the reading of God's word. And what do we know about God's word? The word is, God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, this is indeed your word, and your word declares that it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing, that it will accomplish the purpose for which you send it. And so we do pray, Father, that you would teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and instruct us this morning that we might be equipped for every good work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In 1978, a father with his two-year-old child prodigy golf player went on the Mike Douglas show, where the two-year-old showed off his golf skills to everyone's amazement. And after many years of practice and junior championships and amateur championships, in 1997, Tiger Woods became the youngest uh, champion of the Masters Tournament at the age of 21. In 1987, a relatively inexperienced seminary professor from Westminster Seminary, the greatest seminary in uh, this country, uh, was asked to consider a change of ministry call to do the unthinkable, to go plant a PCA church in downtown New York City. And two years later, Tim Keller launched that church plant with 50 people. And over the next several years, it grew from 50 people to 5,000 people. In both of these cases, people wanted to imitate that behavior. Parents became empowered to think, if only I give my kids enough practice time and the right opportunities, maybe they will be the next sports prodigy. Or if I follow the, the ministry uh, decisions of Tim Keller, if I adopt his method of ministry, his philosophy of ministry, maybe my church will grow to that same extent that his did. Uh, it's said by sports, uh, sports casters, sports analysts, that the NFL is a copycat league 
Because as soon as one team does something successful, they win the Super Bowl, then all the other teams start modeling after that same uh, offense, defense, whatever strategy. Uh, but the reality is, is that we live in a copycat world. We desire success. We desire to find blessing. Whether we're talking about the business world, we're talking about parenting, we're talking about how we run a church, or how we live our individual lives, we are looking for some formula for blessing, some way that we can crack the code so that we can be blessed. Um, friends, Scripture has a lot to say about blessing, has a lot to say about what the definition of success is. And Psalm 1, I think, is a great place for us to start with that. And if we look at what Psalm 1 has to say, I think what it would say is that the formula of blessing begins with a path through the delight and dwelling in God's word. So the path to blessing goes through the delight and dwelling in God's word. Now, um, I don't know how much of the Psalter you have read in your life, but Psalm 1 is a fairly unique psalm in the Psalter. It's obviously the first one, uh, but it's it's not a prayer. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a prayer. It seems almost like it fits better in the book of Proverbs, if you understand Proverbs, like wisdom literature. It's, it's more talking about um, the, the, the law of the Lord and kind of setting some kind of abstract thoughts to it. It's not a dialogue with God. It's not a crying out for deliverance or anything like that. It's, it's similar in a lot of ways to Psalm 119, which uh, Charles led us in, um, but it's, it's very different. Uh, but the, what, what we see in the psalm is uh, kind of two different paths. God lays out a path of the righteous and the wicked. It's very stark. It's very obvious. And as we go through it, we can kind of see the psalm kind of broken up into three different headings. We see, uh, first it talks about a conduct of the righteous. And then it talks about a comparison of the righteous with certain things. And then it ends with the conclusion. Uh, so it begins with uh, the conduct, talking about the righteous. It says, blessed is the man, and then it talks about three things who, uh, th that they don't do. It begins with the negative. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Who, uh, the, the blessed man walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So it's three things that it doesn't do. Okay, and when we look at these three people that they're, they're not associating with. And we see the wicked, we see sinners, and we see scoffers. And when we read the Psalms, Psalms are Hebrew poetry. We've got to be a little careful with trying to get too precise about what the definitions of words mean, because in Hebrew poetry, sometimes words, just like in English poetry, we use words that we're not necessarily trying to get to the precision of the, the meaning, uh, but we're using it in a more artistic way. Uh, sense. But in, in this particular case, when we look at the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers, I think there are uh, things that we can learn about. Uh, the wicked here, I think, are people that are simply disregarding uh, the, the will of God. They're, they're simply living their lives in accordance with their own way of doing things. Um, the sinners are those who are... Um, it's, it's more of a, a connotation of moral, uh, moral unfaithfulness. So they are, they are partaking in things that are morally wrong in the eyes of the Lord. 
Uh, and then the, the last one, the, the scoffers, or um, there are other words that might be in other translations. The scoffers are, are somebody that's hardened in their thinking. They have figured out the way that they, what they believe to be true, and it's so much so that they laugh, they scoff at any other viewpoint other than their own. And so it seems to be, in, in some ways, a progression of bad to worse. Um, and notice that there is a progression of what the psalmist says that the blessed man does not do. So first he starts with a walk. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So he he's just happens to be uh, caught up in the way that the, the wicked is living. But he's avoiding that. He's trying to avoid uh, the the, the, the normal flow and the walk of the wicked. But then he moves from walking to standing. So now it's now not a accidental encounter, but now he's taking up residence. Um, he, is, he is finding himself, situating himself in the way of sinners. So he's situated himself with, he has not situated himself with people that are morally unfaithful. Um, and then the third is he moves from standing to sitting. Now he is associating with them. Think of um, the, the Hebrews would uh, sit in the city gates and they would deliberate and they would make decisions. And the picture is here of the, the person is not sitting in the presence of these um, scoffers, associating with them as one of their own and adopting their mindset. So the psalmist says, the man is blessed if he doesn't do these things, if he, he avoids those things. It might seem a little odd that he would be using the negative, but uh, uh, if he were to word it the other way around, we might not know that he is actually avoiding those things. If we were to say, if the psalmist said, blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the righteous, we might think, oh, well, but does he also walk in the counsel of the wicked? But the psalmist says, no, he, he avoids the counsel of the wicked. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. So that he first describes what he doesn't do. But then he moves to what he does do. And he de- describes two things, doesn't he, kids? The first he does, says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So rather than associating with the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, he delights himself in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates on his word day and night. So it's a, there's a, a picture of the meditation. It's, it's not just a, a reading. Uh, it's not even just memorizing. It's a digesting. It's a chewing. It's a mulling over, thinking through the implications, the applications. What does this mean? Do I really believe this? If this means this, then what else does that mean? And he does it day and night. It is a constant thing. This is, this is the formula that he's saying is causing the conduct of the man who is blessed. One who is delighting in God's word and meditating in God's word and avoiding those things which can be harmful. So there is conduct and then there is a comparison. And it says, he, the blessed man, is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. Now, kids, maybe you've seen a big, tall, strong tree and you've thought, you know, that is a huge tree. And we don't have tons of huge trees here in Texas, but in, in my yard, we have a tree that was once in my front yard and got moved to the backyard. And I just noticed this 
this uh, spring, how big that tree has gotten and how many leaves it had. I had to actually cut some branches off because it had gotten so big and it's so full and it's going over into my neighbor's yard and its trunk has gotten really big when it, over the past eight years. And I thought, well, why has this tree gotten so big? And it occurred to me that that tree is planted in the corner of three different yards. And I'm guessing that tree is getting watered from three different yards. And that water is nurturing that tree and it's becoming full and big and strong. And the picture that he gives is that the, the blessed man is one that is like a tree that has deep roots that was planted by streams of water. And the Israelite people would do this. They would plant trees along a water bank so that they, the trees would get deep roots. They would, they would be stable and strong because if you don't have good roots, the tree's not going to last. But this tree, this tree, this blessed man is like a tree that is planted with deep roots, streams of water that does what it's supposed to do. It yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. So notice that there's a kind of a ominous tone to this. There, if you think about it from the other point of view, it, it, we, could, we could be trees that don't yield fruit. We, we don't yield fruit, but we are called to yield fruit. Or we could have leaves that wither and die. There's nothing more frustrating than having planted a tree and nurtured it over multiple years and only to see bugs take it over or the leaves start to some kind of disease where you have to cut down that tree. But this man who delights in God's word is like a tree that does yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. And then he says, in all that he does, he prospers. Look at that. In all that he does, he prospers. We're going to come back to that. But then he says, with a comparison for the wicked, but the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So kids, maybe you don't know what chaff is, but maybe you've, done, you've had corn on the cob that came with the green part around it, and you had to pull the green part off, the husk, as it's called, before you cooked it, or your mom cooked it in the boiling water or on the grill. But chaff is like the husk around a tiny little seed. And what the Israelite people and some people today still do is that part was light, and so they would have all this grain that had been uh, taken care of on the ground and they would take a big fork and they would throw it up in the air and the part around the shell, the husk, the chaff, was light and the seed was the part that they wanted but it was heavier. So it throw it up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff. It was the worthless part. It took it away but the seeds fell down and they had what they needed. And, and the psalmist says that the wicked are like the chaff. They're worthless they're meaningless. They're going to be blown away like, like the wind. They are not planted with deep roots. They are not steadfast and immovable. They are like chaff. So he goes from the conduct to the comparison, then he ends with the conclusion. He says, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. He ends with a conclusion saying, The wicked will perish they are like chaff. They will be blown away. They will not stand in the end, but the righteous will stand in the end, steadfast and immovable. So I want to go back to that um, statement. It says, in all that he does, he prospers. And I just want to ask the question, do we, do we really believe that? Do we really believe that the person who delights in God's word 
that a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he does prospers. Do we really believe that this is the way for blessing, for receiving blessing? So with the Redeemer Zion Youth Group, we've been going this year through the book of Ecclesiastes. And I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's probably one of my favorite books. And I love it because it's so real. It is so much like expressing our um, everyday experience and the frustrations that we have in life. And there was one section where we were talking about, it was talking about how sometimes the wicked prosper and the righteous, uh, they suffer. And we see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, we're promised in Scripture that uh, everyone who wants to live a godly life will suffer. And so you, you read this and you say, well, in all that he does, he prospers. And, and this is the path of blessing. Is this something that we really believe? Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I came to give life and give life abundantly. And yeah, I wonder, was that even true for him? I mean, he came, he left the blessedness of heaven, and he came and he suffered. He came into poverty. He was rejected by his own. He was put on a cross, and he was died a, an unjust death for him because he had done nothing wrong. And we're called to the same thing. We're called to poverty and suffering. You know, our Christians, the ones that are, Living with blessing, as we would define it? And the answer is yes. The answer is this is absolutely true, but the problem is that our definition of blessing is not what God's definition of blessing is. Our job is to accept God's word as true and to figure out how can we conform our thinking to what the, the Bible's thinking is so that we understand it for true. We need to understand what true blessing is. And it's kind of like this game that I've learned from uh, one of my children who was in a college and career group. It's this card game called Mao. Okay, so if you know this game, it's a wonderful game, and if you haven't played it as a family, you should try it. And what the, the way the game works is you're not allowed to talk about the rules. There are some base rules that you start with, but you're not allowed to talk about them. Nobody's allowed to say what they are. And you start to play, and if you break the rules, then everybody says, oh, you're penalized. And you have to learn the rules by breaking the rules. And it's frustrating because you might think you know the rules, and then you break the rules, and you're like, oh, no, I guess I didn't know what the rules were. And then once that hand ends, then somebody invents a new rule, and you have to figure out that new rule. So you're constantly trying to figure out what are the rules to this game. And to one extent, we are operating from this standpoint of we have got to figure out what the rules to life are and what is real blessing. And we think we've got it figured out when we talk about financial success or, you know, material success or whatever kind of success the world wants to define it with. And yet that's not the definition that God gives us. And so we, we need to look at what does God, how does God define blessing so that we might really uh, live by it. So I would say that the first thing that God's word gives to us, why we are blessed by God's word, is that he gives us true perspective on this life and on our hope for the future. So God is infinite and understands all, and he understands everything perfectly. We, our thoughts, our perceptions, everything about us has been affected by our sinfulness. Our sin has affected our ability to reason, to understand whatsoever. But God's word is pure, 
And it gives us that understanding of the way things are. So it gives us a perspective on who we are. We feel this sense that we are but dust. And God's word says, yes, you are but dust. And yet you are destined for glory. It gives us a perspective on sin. It tells us that we are sinners, that God hates sinners, or God hates sin. Uh, We commit sin. Uh, Jesus has broken the power of sin. And there was a day when God will put an end to all that sin. So he gives us a perspective on that. He gives us a perspective on this life, that this life is not all that it is, that it is an important part of our life where we're coming to faith in Christ, we're growing in sanctification, but this isn't the end. We have hope of eternity beyond this life. And he gives us a perspective on the wicked, that there is wickedness in this world, and that we start off being part of that. And then in coming to Christ, we are at war with that. But there is a day when God will put an end to all wickedness. And so God, through this perspective, gives us a happiness or a blessedness, a joy and a delight as he peels things back and things start to make sense in accordance with the way that God describes it in, as we delight and meditate on these things. I mean, he blesses us because he instruct us, instructs us how to live in accordance with his good, pleasing, and perfect plan. If God has created us for his good, he's created this world, he's created the relationship between us and him, then he knows the way that it works. And when he instructs us how to live by it and we understand it and we put it into practice, we grow in intimacy with him, we grow in joy in the Holy Spirit, we grow in joy in our relationships, relationships are mended, things start to work out and we become steadfast and immovable like that tree planted by streams of water Uh, the alternative is we live accordance in accordance with our own thinking and we're like the chaff or elsewhere in scripture talks about being tossed like on a ship a small ship on a on a a a wavy sort of sense of water but he plants us it says by streams notice that in the text it says it's he's like a tree that's planted It doesn't say he's like a tree that plants himself. He's a tree that is planted. So by coming to God's word and delighting and meditating on it, God is planting us like a tree by streams of water. He He is nurturing us with his streams of water. And it's planted by streams. It's, it's a nurturing location. And, and as a result of that, God is bearing fruit as he conforms us to his image, as he teaches us how we ought to live. And our leaves don't wither. They could wither, but we prosper in everything. So that's, that's the second thing, perspective and then instruction. But then third, he blesses us because God is the one who's speaking to us. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. We can't ever forget that. <laughs> we, 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 we abstract this book into a set of doctrinal truths or ways of living that we can't neglect the fact that this is, first and foremost, God revealing himself to us. God, God is entering into a relationship with us through his word. We would have no hope of knowing who God is except for him to reveal himself to us, and he has revealed himself to us. 
And so there's tremendous blessing. If we are created to glorify and enjoy the Lord, and there's no other way for us to know who God is, to glorify him, to enjoy him, except through God's word, then we are blessed infinitely through this word. We, we can know who God is. We can know his person, his character, his wondrous works. And as Charles read from John chapter 17, verse 3, knowing this God is eternal life. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So we are infinitely blessed through God's word. And, and knowing God is salvation. And so we can stand in the judgment and um, when, when sinners cannot, we, because the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Um, the world is passing away, but God's, uh, those who do the, God, the will of God abide forever. We're, and, and finally, this is just a personal comment. We, we are blessed because God's, God's word is amazing. If you, just, if you know what this book is, 66 books. It is one of the greatest literary works of all time. It is written by countless different authors over thousands of years. There are <clears throat> historical narratives. There are wisdom um, uh, uh, proverbs. There are, there are prayers. There are songs. There are letters from one church to another. And yet, over thousands of years, there is no conflict or error. It tells one glorious story from the beginning of time until the end of time. And this is the book that we have been given. It's, it's not just a dry book that we have to read, like a math textbook. I know some of us love math, but I mean, but it is, it is a glorious piece of literature that we can delight in, that is surprising at times, that is shocking at times, that is aggravating at times, but is glorious and encouraging. And so we are blessed just by drinking deep from that particular well. And so we're blessed in lots of different ways through the reading of God's word. Of course, the blessing that comes is not in the Bible itself, but it is in Jesus Christ, whom Scripture testifies to. Jesus Christ is the root of the tree that we are a part of. He is the vine, we are the branches. Jesus is the stream of water that nourishes us. And as a point of... uh, uh, just an exercise for this afternoon. I encourage you to read Ezekiel 47. It's one of my favorite Old Testament narratives where it talks about uh, water. It's this weird story where water pours out of the temple and flows, and it says it flows to the sea. And the sea that it's flowing to is the Dead Sea. And if you know anything about the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is incredibly salty. Nothing can live in it. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. And the picture in Ezekiel 47 is the water flows and it rushes down this fresh water, gives life to the, the Dead Sea so the animals can live in it. And all along the banks of this river that form from the temple to the Dead Sea, it says this. It says, and on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. And that water, my friends, is the water of the Lord Jesus Christ poured out in his Holy Spirit. If you remember, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, springs of living water will come from him. 
And that living water is what nourishes us. It's what keeps us in the love of Christ. It's what causes us to grow. It's what causes us to bear fruit, and it gives us joy. And so Jesus is the means of that spiritual fruit. He's also the means of our steadfastness. He is the one who is our keeper, and he is the means of our salvation. It's not the reading of God's word. It is the God that it testifies to that is our means of salvation. So um, just as we begin to wrap up, I just want to talk about just a few reasons why we don't why we, why we miss out on this blessing, and there's just some quick applications. So I think just looking at the psalm, some of the reasons why we miss out on that great blessing that we have is, first and foremost, we fail to delight. said, the blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. And why don't we delight in God's word? I would say the first reason is just our own folly, our own foolishness, our own lack of understanding of God's word. As we read through it, there's parts that are hard to read. Even the Apostle Peter said that about Paul's writing. He says, some of Paul's things are really hard to understand. And if you don't understand it, it's harder to read it. It's harder to take joy in it. And so we need to pursue understanding. We have lack of discipline. This, this man meditates on it day and night. Some of us, you know, the youth group kids, I, I, I love them because of their honesty. But so often when we have our time of prayer, they will confess, I'm just in, not in God's word the way I ought to be. And a lot of us don't have the honesty to admit that, but it's the same thing. But we keep having that same prayer over and over because we're not actually putting into practice those things that we know are essential to our lives. Um, And sometimes we just check the box, like, oh, I'm going to read my Bible reading, but our heart's not in it. We're not coming to it panting for the streams of living water from our loving Heavenly Father. We're, we're failing to recognize the, the beauty and the glory of this book. And so we have the lack of delight, in, or we have the lack of delight, and then we have no desire to meditate. And notice how those two kind of go hand in hand. If you delight in God's word, you're going to want to meditate. And the more you meditate, the more you understand what's beautiful, and you delight in it more. And it's a, it's a process that works itself out. Um, the second reason why I think we miss out on the blessing is we walk in the counsel of the wicked. And we might not say that we do, but let me point out how I think we might do that. Um, The wicked will never drive you to the Lord. The wicked will speak in the tongue of the tempter. And if you remember from the very beginning, when that snake slithered up the tree and looked Eve in the face, there were two things that the serpent did. First caused confusion. Has God really said? Has God really said? So there's causing of confusion, and the second is causing conflict. Uh, you're not really going to die. God knows that if you take that fruit, you will be like him. So he creates confusion, and he creates conflict. And so often we live listening to the things of this world, which cause confusion or conflict with what we've read in God's word. And rather than submitting to God's word as true and allowing the other things to need to be sorted out in light of God's word, we allow that confusion and conflict to stop us. So we have things like science, which are, is a beautiful gift of God, but it can often cause confusion and conflict with what we believe from God's word. Popular uh, secular psychology, popular opinion 
uh, pragmatic solutions to things, our own individualistic, well, this is what I think who God is. This is what I think God wants me to do. Rather than submitting to these things, these are ways that we uh, walk in the counsel of the wicked rather than delighting in God's word. Um, thirdly, we can stand in the way of sinners. Some of us just have some moral failings that keep us from delighting in God's word. When God's word says that certain things are wrong and we harbor those sins in our hearts, we're not going to want to read it. We're not going to want to hear that we are in need of change, of things that we don't want to let go. And so it keeps us from that delight. Or, um, finally, we, we might sit in the seat of scoffers. Uh, we might be those who just reject God's word with a hard heart. And we have made up our mind that this is not the truth. So the, the solution, I think, of what, what the passage would have us do is, first, is we have to start by just accepting, by submitting to God's word. We have to accept God's definition of blessing. And from there, we need to move to delight and meditate. It's not just a simple reading of God's word. It's a delighting in it. And it's not just reading or even just memorizing. Although memorizing God's word is a very helpful thing to do in the process of meditating. Because if you plant it in your head and in your heart, then it's a lot easier to meditate day and night because you've got it with you. To be thinking about it in the course of your life, like uh, what did I read today and how, how does that fit with everything that I think? It's an ongoing thing. It's, it's thinking of, it's, it's uh, ruminating. It's, it's like taking a choice steak that you, uh, that you love and just savoring it bite after bite uh, every complex flavor, the, the beauty of God's word is worth meditating on. And it's not exclusively, it can't be exclusively, an intellectual or theological or studious pursuit. It is a relational thing. Uh, there, is, there is a good place and a good, it's a good thing to study with uh, an intellectual pursuit, but there's more than that. The intellectual can drive us to the personal, but it must drive us to the personal. We must embrace the God that is uh, taught in this scripture. And not just the parts that we like, not the parts that are easing, the parts that are surprising, the parts that are hard to handle, the parts that are difficult. As we are surprised by God's word, it, it, it uh, instigates more delight as we realize that it's not a flat text. It is a text that is dynamic and rich. Um, so make it your goal to grow in your knowledge of scripture every day. Make it your goal to grow in a love for Scripture every day, to find something exciting, wonderful, glorious, and pray that the Lord would give you eyes to see how wonderful it is. This was something that fueled the Lord Jesus' ministry on earth, and it ought to fuel ours. So uh, delight and meditate, and then be sanctified by the truth. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth. So God's word is the truth. We need to humbly accept it. We need to be transformed through the renewing of our mind, and we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are just some individual things. And just one final corporate thing, a corporate point of application that I want to call out is that Zion Presbyterian Church is, if anything else, we are going to be committed to the authority of God's word and living in accordance with God's word. You see it in our worship service, how we have an 
abundance of passages that we're, we are going to read together and go through. We are going to sing the Bible, preach the Bible, you know, recite the Bible, all sorts of different things. It is going to be part of what we're going to do. Lord willing, I'm going to proclaim from the pulpit the, the whole of God's counsel, uh, and the, the counsel of God's will, all of it, not just one part or another, just the, the easy parts, but the difficult parts. Um, and we're going to make our decisions, whether they're popular or not, in accordance with God's word. And, and, and a, point of, a point of explanation or kind of seeing an instance of that, that's why you're all able to worship today. Why we were able to worship t- last week is because your elders were committed to saying, we are, we are, it is a necessary thing in God's word to gather as God's people to worship him. And it may not, our decisions may not always be popular. You might not always like them, but we are going to follow, seek to be obedient to God's word uh, in everything that we do. The Lord Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. He said, your, your word is truth. And God's word is truth. It, um, it proclaims, it testifies to God's character and to his goodness and his love, his wondrous works. It tells us about Jesus Christ and it tells us about how we can be sanctified, how we can grow in obedience, in Christ-likeness, in love for him, and how we can um, give him glory. And so we, this comes the more we read, the more we study, the more we delight in God's word. And so let, let us delight and meditate on God's word that we would truly be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we do thank you that your word is true. Would you Would you sanctify us by your truth? Would you help us to grow in joy as we read it? Help give us understanding when we lack it. Uh, Help us to do this together as God's people. And uh, we pray that it will all be for your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, our uh, hymn of response is hymn number 446, Be Thou My Vision. Please stand with me as we sing.